With warm summer days quickly approaching and entertaining invitations starting to fill up calendars, I thought it'd be a great time to share 10 wine nits with you and debunk them for you as well. Because I use the analogy that wine can be a bit like a game of telephone. If you remember old school telephone where one person starts and shares something with somebody else, And by the time it gets down the chain, what the original statement was, has completely changed. And wine definitely can fit into the category of being like a game of telephone. Lots of great information is being passed, but sometimes from where it starts to where it lands, it's not always correct. So if you're ready to find the truth behind some common misconceptions, let's get started and dive right into today's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Wine Shop Talk. I'm your host, Maya Aaron-Rosar, and I'm so happy that you're here with me today. If we haven't met before, it's lovely to have you here, and if we have, welcome back. Now, for those of you who are new, you should know that I've been a professional sommelier for over 20 years now, and it's my passion and my privilege to make learning about wine not only fun and easy, but also practical, meaning I want to make sure that after each episode, you feel comfortable and confident shopping for wines, not just for fancy occasions, but for everyday get-togethers when you're making memories with family and friends. I want you to think of me as your very own practical sommelier. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different in that I'm not going to be covering a specific topic. I'm going to be breaking down 10 very common wine myths that I hear and get asked about all the time from people. So as we go through the list, don't be surprised if some of these are things that maybe you had heard or had a version of it shared with you at some point. So these are going to be fun and I hope you enjoyed them. Now let's get started with the first one. Please note that these are in no special order. They're just a collection of some of the most common ones that I hear all the time. Myth number one is red wine should always be served at room temperature. And I need a little buzzer sound, but oh. That's not always true, and here's why. Ideally, red wine, we want it to be served at what I'm going to call castle temperature, meaning when you touch it, it's the bottle's going to feel cool to your hands. You're going to feel a temperature difference. The reason being is when we think about wine temperature, wine, if it's too cold, it closes up, it gets tight, it doesn't release its aromatics and its flavors very well. If it's at the perfect temperature, it's open to everybody, it has stuff to say, it's personable, but if it's too warm, then it gets lazy and flabby, we refer to as the fruit's going to be really forward, but the acidity, that mouthwater acidity or that bit of snap, if you will, that backbone isn't going to be there. So if we're serving red wines too warm, they're going to be lazy. They're going to be flabby in the glass and while you'll probably get lots of fruit, you're going to not get the full experience of that wine. So you're looking to serve red wines at castle temperature. That's going to be between 10 to 13 degrees. Sometimes you'll hear people say 15 to 20. I think that's on the warm side. So, and I'm talking Celsius here. So if you're talking Fahrenheit, we're looking at about 55 to 65 degrees Fahrenheit. But you're looking again, it's easier to feel. You're not always going to have a thermometer there but play with temperature. We also have some red wines that we can chill. So lower tannin rinds, we can actually give a little bit of a chill, especially during barbecue season. And some great examples of wines that we can do this. Zinfandel is great to just chill a little bit. The tannins are lower. can definitely chill. Beaujolais, some lighter style Pinot Noirs. And you get play with temperature and see how it is. But A myth is that red wine should always be served at room temperature. If the room is hot, we want to make sure that it is cooler. 
and the bottle should feel cooler than your hand. So that's just an easy way to tell. Let's move on to bit number two, and that is that expensive wines are always going to be better than less expensive wine. Again, buzzer, not so much. Wine is never a black and white topic. The more you learn, the more you realize that there's not a black and white severe answer on anything. But while you should expect more from an expensive wine, my experience is people become less honest when they're drinking expensive wines, meaning sometimes they're not going to say they don't like it, especially if they spent a fair amount of money. And sometimes more expensive wines are not for everybody's palate, meaning they have different nuances. Maybe they have aged. And so you're not exactly sure what the wine is expressing in the glass because you haven't had an experience of a wine that has been aged like that or treated like that. So expensive wines you should potentially expect more from, but they may not be for everybody. If you have a favorite wine that is in a less expensive category, that's amazing. But price is not an indication of quality all of the time. So you are going to be your judge here and you can definitely reach out if you have a wine you'd like to know about, but careful with the price thing. I know it can be easy. You expect more, but sometimes price is an indication that it's a very popular wine, that it has had some great reviews and like any commodity, the more attention something gets, the value is driven by the demand. So know that price is an indication potentially of a higher quality wine, but not always less expensive wines can be incredible experiences as well, especially coming from lesser known regions or grape varieties. So the price of a wine is not always an indication that they are always going to be better. Number three is about temperature again. And this is about that white wine should always be served ice cold. So colder, the better for white wine. And no, not the case. And again, and if we go back to what we discussed about with red wines being served warmer white wine again we go back to those temperature rules and if we chill a wine too cold it closes up it doesn't release its aromas and its flavors on the palate now when you take a sip of a wine the temperature of that wine is going to go up a few degrees right away as soon as it hits your tongue so you are going to get flavors but you're going to miss out on all of the aromatics by chilling a wine, you're also going to enhance its acidity perception. So that mouth-watering perception can become enhanced. And I'll use the analogy of pop or soda. If you have a chilled soda, you're going to feel refreshing. You feel it in your mouth. If you have the same pop or soda warm, it's kind of flabby and it doesn't have the same spark in the glass on your experience. So wine is the same way. We have to be careful with temperature. Temperature can be one of the most defining factors in your experience of a wine. And people greatly underestimate it all the time. But we don't want to serve reds, whites, anything too cold because we lose the aromatics on it. Now, in saying that, if you are going to be outside serving a white wine, then this is where your ice bucket can come in and we can serve it a little bit colder. And if you're at a restaurant, you may have the sommelier or the wine steward or server put your wine in an ice bucket and then come by and check it. And they may leave a plate on the table so that if they find that the bottle is getting too cold, 
they're going to pull it out for a little bit and let it be on the table while you're enjoying it. And they may go back and forth. So don't feel that your wine always has to be in an ice bucket. If it's a white wine, you can bring it out, find the right temperature. But know that if you serve wines too cold, you're going to lose out on half the experience because all of those aromatics are not going to release themselves to you. The other point I want to bring out about white wines here as well is that big, full, rich white wines, some big creamy Chardonnay, for example, or a Chenin Blanc or Viognier, anything that's fuller bodied, rich, creamy, those white wines, those big full body white wines, we can serve warm up because we want those rich flavors to, to come out of the glass. So we do have a temperature range in white wines and know that fuller bodied whites, we can serve warmer with just a slight chill and that so you get that full richness and experience in your mouth. So temperature is always tricky. You're definitely going to play with it, but serving anything too cold, you're going to lose out on half of the experience with all the beautiful aromatics and the sharpness is really going to come through. If number four is screw caps. So many people, I think we're finally coming out of this, but people are afraid of screw caps. So look at them and be like, oh, I don't do screw caps. Those are low quality wines. No, thanks. No, let's just be honest. If you're buying a two or three dollar wine in a screw cap, the chance is yours to take. It may be fantastic. It might not. But there is sort of a perception of value here as well. So screw caps do not indicate in any way, shape or form the quality of wine inside the bottle. And screw caps are relatively young in the wine world as a closure style. We have data going back about 30 years in regards to how wines age in screw cap, and we're continuing to learn about them. Just as a note, putting in a screw cap bottle line in a winery is actually more expensive than putting a cork closure system into your bottling line at your winery. Think of a screw cap, all the things that have to work right on that bottle. So know that it is an investment from the winery. One of the main reasons being that a cork fault. So we know that one in 10 on average bottles has something called a cork fault, which will give a wine musty aromatics. And this is a fault. It's not going to hurt you, but it definitely hurts your experience in the glass. But if you're a winery and you know that there's a chance that one in 10 bottles may have this fault, if you're using a cork closure, then may decide that screw cap closures are best for your wine. But that will lessen the opportunity for that fault to be in your wine. So there's all kinds of factors going into why winery will decide to use a screw cap closure. But know that it is not about the style of wine inside the bottle. Bottle a screw cap bottle line is actually more expensive of an investment for the winery to make. With number five, all wines improve with age. And no, again, not all wines need to be aged or should be aged for that matter. On average, about 90% of the wines on the planet probably should be drunk between one and three years. And we know that most of the wines purchased at a store are actually drunk within 30 minutes of purchase. So we know that not all wines are being stored and that most people are drinking wines as soon as they take them home. All wine styles don't need to be aged. They are made to be drunk young and fresh, and all of the aging has happened either at the winery already or the winemaker has made them in a style that should be enjoyed right away after picking them up. And while there are wines that definitely can benefit from aging, these are a different grouping of wines than, let's say, the mass majority of wines that are available for you at the stores today. And if you need help or if questions about what wine should be aged or should a specific wine that you're looking at be aged, then feel free to reach out. You can always send a note and I'd be happy to give you my opinion on that specific wine. 
Number six, red wines give you headaches. Oh my goodness, I probably answered this question at least once, twice, maybe three times every week about red wines and headaches. And we first say that if you are a person that does get headaches or reaction from red wine, it's 100% a real reaction. It's not in your head. This is something that goes on. But not everybody will experience it. And there are different reasons why some people will react to red wines. Now, it's important to know if you are reacting to red wines at cut to treat it like any food allergy. We take a look at what type of wines are you reacting to because in the red wine spectrum, we have all kinds of colors and styles and we have to figure out what it is about it. So we have to take red wines out of you enjoying them and then slowly add them back in. Now, a glass of wine has over 500 chemical compounds in it. It is more complex than human blood when we break it down. But so there's all kinds of things that you could be reacting in that. But most commonly, when somebody comes to me with a reaction to red wines, the first thing I ask is, do you react to beastings or strawberries? Do you generally have hives or flushing when you have experiences with these and the reason I ask this is because it's histamines. Red wines are going to have more histamine components than white wines. And so many people react to the histamines in the red wine. There are lots of different things that, that can go on here. So if histamines are an issue for you, some people will say take a Benadryl. Obviously, if you're having a reaction, that's something you want to do. But it's hard for me to recommend for you that you take a Benadryl while having a glass of wine. So that's probably not the case. What we're going to want to do here is go for lighter style reds and see if that lessens your reaction. So we're looking for reds with lighter colors and lighter skins. And here we're looking at Gamay, so Beaujolais, Pinot Noir, Tempranillo, just to name a few, but we can slowly add in some wine styles to see where that line for your body is of where it reacts. So not all red wines cause headaches or reactions, but it's definitely something that's an individual experience and we have to break it down like any food intolerance or allergy and see where your line in sand is. Number seven, champagne is only for special occasions. Oh my goodness, for those of you who have listened to me before, you know that I will stand on a soapbox and sing for you to please enjoy sparkling wines more often. Sparkling wines are some of our most food-friendly, people-friendly, and champagne especially is obviously at the top of the sparkling wine food chain, but enjoy it. It is there. It's not just for toast. There are light styles of champagnes, full-body style of champagnes, beautiful rosé styles, we have the full gamut. I have sweet styles of champagne. So champagne is not just for fancy occasions. It can make any meal a celebration. So maybe it's a Tuesday wine for you, but definitely challenge yourself to bring it more into meals, not just for an aperitif or a toasting wine, glass of wine, but for the actual wine to go with the meal. So food friendly, like I said, and people friendly. So I, again, stand on my soapbox. Champagne is not just for fancy occasions, it's for every day. And I hope I inspire you every time I sail on the soapbox to enjoy it with a regular meal. Myth number eight, sweet wines are for beginners and not for sophisticated palates. Now, <laughs> absolutely not. And let's talk about sweet wines. And before I break down the myth busting on this one, let me just share with you how I'm going to break down sweet wines for this answer. 
First, I'm going to talk about sweet wines for table wines. So table wines with a bit of residual sugar, some sweetness to them. Then I'm going to just talk quickly about sweet wines, so dessert styles, full on luscious sweet. So for table wines with have a touch of sugar or touch of sweetness, and I think a lot of people here will go right to white Zinfandel, for example, which has some residual sugar to it. And people will kind of say, no, I drank those in high school or I drank those in university and now I've grown up, so I don't enjoy those anymore. And I will say that's too bad. People wines that have some residual sugar to them are such an incredible experience. And it all comes down to the pairing, especially if you like spicy or flavorful foods such as Indian or Thai, that little bit of sugar in a wine, that touch of residual sugar really helps to balance any of the heat in the spice. Sugar mellows heat. It still allows you to experience the flavors, but it takes some of that heat away. So you will find many sommeliers like myself, we will definitely use wines with residual sugar, sort of sweeter wine styles when we're dealing with spicy or flavorful dishes because they come to the table. Same with sweet salad dressing. So people will laugh about white Zinfandel, but if you're doing a spinach poppy seed strawberry salad, to me, white Zinfandel is a divine pairing. It really comes to the table because anything with sugar, so a sweet salad dressing or barbecue sauce, for example, that sugar is going to strip the fruit out of lime. So they don't necessarily harmonize, but a wine with some residual sugar to it, they're going to find some harmony, some synergy. And so those wines with some residual sugar are beautiful there. Now, when we're talking about sweet wines for desserts, so full-on sweet styles such as our Saturns from Bordeaux, Sweet wines are probably some of the most misunderstood wines. People aren't sure how to pair them. Just like quartz, for example, while that's a fortified wine style, they are, they're sweet. There are a lot of sugar in the glass. Ice wine, for sure. One of the main components of serving sweet wines is going to be temperature. And here, by chilling the sweet wine, you're going to enhance the acidity, so that mouthwatering sensation. So with sweet wines, they're table wines or dessert styles, we want to make sure we're serving them in a chilled so their acidity, the backbone, can support the luscious fruit and that touch of sweetness of the wine. So serving sweet wines is key to your experience, but to me, sweet wines are a whole level of wine experience that so many people miss out on because they're afraid they're going to be looked down on for enjoying them. And it's really about how you bring them together to create those magical pairings. And if you'd like to know more about different sweet wine pairings, let me know in the comments below if you're watching on YouTube. And I can definitely do an entire video on some sweeter wine styles and some specific pairings. Myth number nine, white wines don't need to be decanted. This one's a bit tricky, but it's actually false. Some white wines can definitely benefit from being decanted. Now, not all white wines, though there are some people who believe that all wines can't be hurt by decanting and can basically experience some aromatic lift, a bit of release by decanting them. Now, there are some wine styles, especially reds, that should not be decanted, in my opinion, but we're going to save that topic for another day. But White wines 100% can be decanted. You're not going to hurt it. If you have a favorite Pinot Grigio, for example, or Sauvignon Blanc, and you want to put it in a decanter because it's pretty and serve it on your table, it's not going to hurt it. So go ahead and do that. But some fuller-bodied white wines, big Chardonnays, for example, and some older Rieslings can benefit from being decanted. It allows for some aeration. 
Obviously, we're not decanting for chunks or floaties. We're decanting to allow some oxygen into the wine. And think of it like wine yoga. We're allowing the wine to take a breath and release more of its personality to us. That's what decanting is going to do. But again, you can't hurt it. And it's always fun homework. If you want, if you have a favorite white wine, to play with it. Put one glass, pour one glass under the bottle, leave it on the counter, pour the rest into a decanter and try the wine side by side, the one from the bottle, the one from the decanter, and see if your experience is different. I think you're going to find that the one from the decanter has more aromatics and potentially more flavors on the palate. So that's a little homework, but white wines can definitely benefit from decanting. Myth number 10 is that only certain people can smell aromas in wine. And this is false. I have taught hundreds of students. And I know at the beginning, if you're just getting into learning about wine, you're picking up a glass of wine and you're thinking, I don't smell anything. I'm never going to get this. But everybody's nose can be trained. It's just about using your senses. And in North America, we're not really brought up to talk about what we're smelling. Generally, smells are in a negative format. So this is about training your nose to pick up those scents, to pick up the aromas that are coming from that wine. So everybody can learn how to smell the aromas in the wine. It's about just letting go a little bit and giving yourself over to the experience, but it is going to take some practice. And this is one of those things that the more things you smell, the better wine taster you're going to be. So whether that's Mr. Sharpie markers or going to the perfume counter and just picking up different things, smell common things at home, your shampoo, different perfumes, cologne, cleaning products, whatever it is, start to break down what you're actually smelling. Does your shampoo have floral notes, citrus notes? What is in it? And as a helpful tip, what I usually recommend when you're tasting a wine is you're going to look for three fruit and three non-fruit flavors in every glass of wine just to get you started because sometimes it can just seem too much. It's too overwhelming to start to break down what's in the glass. So I challenge you with every glass of wine, look for three fruit and three non-fruit. Now, non-fruit flavors, these are things like herbs, spices, industrial smells in that you may smell petrol or tin or Tony Home perm solution and I Toning Home Perp Solution. To me, when I smell that, that's 100% Civic Riesling from Germany to me. So it sounds wacky. Same as barbecue chips. It's once you open up your nose to experiencing, finding different flavors, they're there in the glass and smell and memory are tightly tied together in your brain. So you have to have smelled something in your past to be able to associate it in the glass. So everybody may smell something different, but know that everybody can learn how to enhance their experience with the aromas and it just takes a little practice so everybody can learn. So I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and I've given you some answers maybe to some of your most common questions that you had that you just weren't sure where to get answers from or who to ask. Learning about wine and many times just like that game of telephone analogy that I shared are well-intentioned in the information they're sharing, but sometimes they're misinformed because how the information started and got passed on through people isn't completely accurate by the time it gets to you. So I will continue to debunk different myths as I hear them. If you have one that I have not covered in today's episode, definitely feel free to reach out. If you're watching on YouTube, leave them in the comments below. If you're listening into podcast format, you can just 
you can email me at hello at winegirlacademy.com or feel free to reach out on TikTok or Instagram at winegirlacademy. You'll find me over there and I would love to answer your myth or your question. So mine is a huge topic and it continues to evolve. So please just ask away if you have a question. Before I say goodbye to you today, I do have some exciting news to share with all of you. And that is you'll now find some of my courses up on Udemy and I'm going to put the link below to where you can find those courses and more are coming. But to make them easy and accessible, you're going to be able to find my courses up on Udemy. I've also opened up a really fun Etsy shop where you're going to find some tasting kit so you can host a tasting with all the instructions easily with your friends so be sure to check those out as well as some really fun art pieces that I like to have so I've made some for you as well so you'll be able to check out the one girl shop on Etsy so those are some fun and exciting updates that I wanted to share with you this week that note I want to wish you a wonderful week be sure to like share and subscribe new episodes come out every Tuesday and thanks so much for hanging out with me cheers to you bye now